The two tramps lay at a short distance from each other outside Charing Cross Station. They weren't a pretty sight. One of them, curled up like a cat on the pavement at the foot of the metal stairway among the discarded chip bags and greasy bits of carton and used condoms, was facing the noxious stone wall which had stood in for a toilet on several occasions the previous night. He was a large man, though thin. All that was visible of his head was the clump of matted and dirty grey hair poking above the collar of his threadbare jacket. It was impossible to tell what colour the jacket had once been, stretched tight across his bony shoulders though it was, an expanse which pitifully exposed frayed ends, lost stitching and holes. Perhaps the material had once been denim. His trousers, unpleasantly caked and stained, ended raggedly and too soon above knotty, discoloured ankles and shoes which, having more than discharged their useful purpose several years previously, had entered into an uneasy reincarnation with the aid of old newspaper and scrags of string. The other tramp was sitting against the railing on the other side of the stairway with his knees up, smoking a cigarette. He had a narrow face, dusty brown hair and small eyes of no particular colour. He was wearing a grey, pinstriped suit that looked as if someone had thrown it out after a prolonged period of wearing it to do the gardening, an old grey vest and, perhaps in memory of better days, the remnant of a red neckerchief. On his feet he had stained trainers that had once been white. It was just short of eight o'clock on a clear April morning. The tramps were the only stationary elements in the sea of commuters that pressed up and down the metal stairway linking Charing Cross British Rail and the lane down to Embankment Tube Station, dividing and rejoining around them like tidal water round boulders, as driven and as unaware. People's feet finding the only possible space before, as they moved on, someone else stepped where they had been. Many negotiated their way with a briefcase in one hand and a mobile phone in the other. Here and there some, having engineered their way to the edges and twisted themselves into a corner, were holding an old envelope or a notebook against a wall while writing instructions, keeping the phone in place with their shoulder. Some were reading a compactly folded newspaper as they went. Many wore earphones. The tramp with his knees up drew deeply on his cigarette, exhaled and addressed the other one. What I don't understand is why you have to be quite so disgusting. Because, replied the other without moving, there is one today who needs to see past the filth of the person underneath. Compassion can only begin if a person sees the other person. But of course they see the other person. How can they not? There you are. And in the state you are especially, how can they miss you? Has anyone seen you lately? The tramp with the cigarette set it down carefully, disengaged his back from the railings and stood up. He stepped forward into the press of people, which instantly and automatically parted around him and continued on its way without pausing, even momentarily. Apparently not, the second tramp sat down again and picked up his cigarette. 
but I don't understand. What has happened to them? They are preoccupied. You know that is not the answer. Very well. They are not aware. They choose a little life because it is a life they can control. And this society is built on apparent achievement and success as defined by the people themselves. Therefore, their vision is small. They compete one against the other. And the most important thing is to be seen as sharper, stronger and better than the next person. To be seen as able to control outcomes is therefore all important. And the surrender of self to another, which true life requires, is, to them, absurd. This culture suffers from an impoverishment of the imagination. But that's not true of all of them. No.